Welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung, and class is now in session. auto for the final time in its festival circuit and it was really nice to close the festival out there because uh, I went to the San Diego Asian Film Festival a number of years ago about I would say five or six years ago to uh, support my friend a documentarian friend Miao Wang when she was screening her movie there and I just remember having a lot of fun at that festival. I remember having a really wonderful time with my friend. And it was nice to go back and sort of relive the experience, but on my own terms this time, because I was there to screen my own movie. And this year, I also had a friend who came out to support me. He just happened to be in San Diego at the same time, so we got to see the movie together. And it was overall a really wonderful experience. I am very grateful to all of my listeners who contributed to the movie. I know some of you have donated to the movie uh, so that I could finish it in, in post-production, and I really appreciate that so much. So thank you for being part of this movie's journey with me. And yeah, hopefully I'll make another film soon. I also want to kind of talk about something I'm feeling a little differently about. So I know that I've been ranting and raving on this podcast uh, with some hubris about how I don't drink coffee. And yeah, I, I don't drink coffee. I stopped drinking coffee in 2016. But as of three days ago, I have been drinking a lot of coffee. <laughs> you guys, I just, you know, it, it just, you reach a certain point, okay? And you realize you can't give up everything, okay? Because what, six years ago, I give up coffee. Two years ago, I give up alcohol. A year ago, I give up weed. And then a couple months ago, I stopped eating meat and dairy, what and i start i start exercising like twice a day three times a day in fact what what no i have to drink a little bit of coffee so i i went out and i got my first cup of decaf coffee at jones on third which is a sandwich shop cafe in studio city i got my first cup of decaf and it was really good it was super tasty i i liked it and then immediately after finishing that cup of coffee, I went straight to Whole Foods and I bought a can of ground up decaf coffee, okay? And then ever since that day, I have been drinking at least two cups of decaf coffee a day. And I do have a headache. Yeah, why do you ask? Of course I have a headache, all right? This is the addict's plight, okay? My addiction does not stop at food and alcohol and drugs. It it does not stop there. It definitely doesn't stop with beverages like coffee, okay? My addiction is real. And you know what? With addiction, it's never just one thing. Like the addiction, it encompasses, it encompasses all the other things. I didn't realize I'm addicted to certain emotions. Yeah, who knew? But I found that out. Yeah. Did you know that when somebody withholds something from you for a really long time and creates this massive ball of anxiety in your body and then suddenly they relieve it very suddenly and swiftly? Did you know that that feeling of relief is like a drug to the vein? Did you know that? It brings about the same amount of euphoria that Cheez-Its brings to your brain or any kind of junk food for that matter. But I personally enjoy myself white cheddar Cheez-Its. And junk food brings about the same amount of pleasure and relief to your brain as a hardcore drug like heroin or fentanyl. Did you know that? Now you do. Now you do. And these kinds of addictions are things that we just live with. We live with it. I don't think it's a battle. We live with it. We learn to cope with it. We learn to be honest with ourselves and acknowledge our needs, acknowledge our wants, and allow ourselves to have a couple cups of coffee. 
for the last three days and maybe I will continue to have a couple of cups of coffee until this coffee tin of decaf ground up coffee in my kitchen is empty. Who knows? I, or maybe I'll stop. Maybe I'll suddenly stop cold turkey out of nowhere. Maybe I'll suddenly stop. Who knows? I don't know, man. Life's a journey. Life is a journey. That's all I can say. Today, I'm going to be talking about the show Tomorrow, which aired on NBC this year during the spring. And it is also on Netflix, streaming for all international viewers outside of South Korea. It is a show that stars Kim Hee-sun. I mean, who doesn't love us some Kim Hee-sun? It also stars Roon. Yeah, amazing actor, very talented actor, good looking guy. It also stars Yi Soo-hyuk. Yeah, what a... What an interesting looking dude. I actually know an actor, a Korean American actor, who looks a lot like Yi Soo-yuk. And it's it's uncanny how similar they look. It also stars Yoon Ji-won and Kim Hee-suk. This show is a fantasy thriller, and it is based on a webtoon written by Rama. And tomorrow is largely a rehashing of the same Grim Reaper story that we've seen in K-dramas time and time again, mixing in past life and present-day fatalism. It has all of those, those typical qualities, except it is with different actors this time. Yeah, that's the only difference. It's somewhat reminiscent of the show Black, which is a JTBC drama starring Song Seung-on and Koara, and it is on Netflix. It's a very weird and campy show. I don't think I've, no, I have not covered that show on this podcast yet, but it is a very bizarre camp show. I, I think I should cover it just because of the camp quality alone. The only uh, different or unique angle that this show has that makes it stand out from the other uh, Grim Reaper, and, and you know, we call them Grim Reaper in the, in the translation and the subtitles, but come on, they're not Grim Reapers. Like, Grim Reaper is a Western concept, right? This is like a, we call it a Joseung Saja, yeah? These Joseung Saja, they are rescuing people from committing suicide. That is their mission. That is the whole goal. Uh, it is no, it is, it is not news that South Korea is a nation that struggles with a very high suicide rate. That is still the case. And so given this social malaise, of course, the show is going to address it through something like this. That is unique. That is interesting. I'm down with it. But a lot of the qualities or aspects of this show remind me of the other show, Hotel Del Luna, right? I mean, similar things, right? Tomorrow is exploring victimhood and victimization from the perspective of people who are victims of bullying or sexual assault or dogs that want to commit suicide just i actually enjoyed that episode where the dog has suicidal ideations and then this whole entire team of chosen sajas need to go and rescue the dog i thought that was insane and camp and funny and out there so yeah if you're gonna push the envelope push it that far go that far okay don't leave us hanging with something mediocre okay um, the wardrobe staff kicked ass on this show. Everything and anything that Kim Hee-sun's character wore were phenomenal. I was like, I am loving the outfits on this show. The show as a whole was not all that remarkable to me, but there was definitely fashion eye candy for me throughout the whole series. Like anything she wore was amazing. I loved Kim Hee-sun's hair, that pink hair. It looks gorgeous on her. I also liked Kim Hee-sun's makeup. Yeah, that red eyeshadow thing. Uh, very, you know, Lady Vengeance by Park Chan-wook, okay? If you guys haven't seen Lady Vengeance by Park Chan-wook, it's an okay movie. It's not his best work, but it's just all right. If you're gonna if you're gonna see one of his vengeance films, I would recommend Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. That one's a good one. I want to take some time to acknowledge the actress who plays the boss lady up in heaven. This role was taken on by veteran actress Kim Hesuk, who is a very popular, prolific actress. We've been seeing her on television since the late 1970s. She's been in movies since the early 1980s. She has a very long career and she has played a mom for the bulk of her career. So under her name, you'll often see like she's the 국민엄마, meaning the nation's mother. 
And back in the day, Kim Heja was the actress who had that title, which is why Bong Joon-ho actually cast Kim Heja in the film Mother for that very reason. But Kim Heja is, you know, she's like in her 80s now. So Kim Hesuk is now dominating that title, the Kungmin Amma or the nation's mother. And Kim Hesuk, she's a very talented actress and very versatile. And despite her range, she's constantly playing a mom. So I enjoyed this series and appreciated her role because she's not playing a mom. She's playing this like weird, badass, heaven boss, gatekeeper, god person. I thought that was kind of cool and weird and interesting. But there's one film that she was in back in 2008 that I would like to recommend. It's called Viva Love. It is a 2008 rom-com about a woman who is middle-aged and has a husband who cheats on her, has a daughter who suddenly ran away, and she starts a love affair with a guy in his 20s. Really weird movie. The premise is weird, but the film also has a lot of heart and honesty, and it's looking at a, a middle-aged mom's sexuality with a very frank and honest kind of lens, and I really appreciated the film. It's uh, written and directed by Oh Jeong-kyun, and uh, the Korean title is 경축 우리 사랑, and I remember seeing it uh, back when I was in college, I think, and I remember liking it a lot. I, I, had a, I had a deep appreciation for it. So it's worth checking out. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Look for it somewhere. I'm sure it's online. And we're seeing a lot of Kim hye these days. If you're watching that show, The uh, Queen's Umbrella, you're seeing Kim hye right now. She's playing that, that evil queen dowager lady, which is pretty funny, pretty awesome. And yeah, Kim hye a busy woman, a busy actress. We see her in practically every single show, and I think it's great. So I just wanted to show some appreciation to veteran actress Kim hye in this episode. Today, I'm going to be talking to our guest, Rosie Tran. She is a Los Angeles-based comedian. She is also the author of a book on meditation, which you can find on Amazon. And yeah, it was a really interesting chat. So let's talk to Rosie Tran. That's it? You don't want to talk about it anymore? Um, that's it. It's just, um, it's not a comedy book. I just had it in my brain and I wanted to get it out there. So yeah. Oh, that's amazing. How long have you been meditating? <sighs> I mean, it sounds like a very LA thing, like, oh, I meditate, but I have been meditating for um, 10 plus years. Um, so most people that meditate, so I hate meditating. And most people that meditate, um, meditate and then fail miserably at it and like hate it. Um, so it's kind of a prayer slash meditation book. It's kind of like, medi I meditate differently than most people meditate. So, mm -hmm. so the way that they teach you to meditate is that they're like, just breathe and be quiet and be with your thoughts. And then like, yeah. you see how busy and crazy your mind is and you let go of your thoughts. Sure. And I would not recommend that oh. <laughs> um, because if you have a very creative mind like me, or if you have a lot of anxiety like me, it just happens. Like you just see a lot of negative thoughts and you're like, Oh, I'm crazy. Okay. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I tried to meditate on and off for many years and I failed miserably at it. And then I went to another super LA thing, which was a Reiki healing. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and during the Reiki healing, um, the woman did a guided meditation on me. So she like made me imagine different things. And so that was yeah. really helpful for me not to make my mind all crazy and like uh -huh. manic. Yeah. So I do self-guided meditation. So I close my eyes, I take a deep breath. I'll breathe in and out and then I'll say like positive mantras to myself like you are awesome or like something really yeah. nice like that. and I do that yeah. for like 10 or 15 minutes that's amazing I love that actually I read this book um a few weeks ago written by Stephanie Fu she was like this Asian American um producer on this American life on NPR and um she's she's Malaysian American uh ethnically Chinese but she's a CPTSD survivor. And in her book, she like goes deep into complex PTSD and trauma and trauma victims who are seeking help through things like meditation or, you know, just mindfulness and things like that. And one of the things that she said is similar to what you just said in that, um, like for trauma victims, if their minds are like lit up, and they can't get out of it sometimes meditation can be harmful it could have a harmful effect because they're just sitting with these like negative triggered thoughts in their minds and 
um, it's not as productive. So yeah, you're like the second person to uh, mention something like that. And I think it's important because yeah, like people just think generally like, oh, meditation is sitting down, being quiet, you know, trying to find stillness. But it's like, well, what if our brains take us to this kind of place where it's like, that's sort of like, my mind's like not this, still. This, <laughs> yeah, yeah. My mind's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things firing. Yeah. I was like, this feels like torture. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You're you're like trapped, but you know, because you want to follow the directions or and you want to do it right, so you're you know. But one of the things that she mentioned in the book was like when she does a guided meditation or when she goes to one of these classes where the instructor just doesn't shut up, like the instructor keeps talking, she feels pretty safe because then she can be grounded in the instructor's voice and what they're telling her, what they're saying, like following directions, like she feels safer in that kind of environment. So maybe that's what mantra is for you perhaps yeah so i do yeah that's exactly what i do that's what the reiki healer did she did a guided meditation that was like oh you're surrounded by a yellow light and you're filled with love and so i just right. do a self it's just self-guided so i just say positive yeah. fun stuff to that. myself like oh you're really awesome and you're a great comedian and you're a good person and stuff like that yeah and i just say nice things because how often do we hear nice things about ourselves usually yeah we don't really. say those things to her. I don't say those things to myself. Well, let me let me ask you this then, because there's a trick to that, right? Like, uh, when you say those things to yourself, do you believe them? Um, I do. <laughs> See? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel uncomfortable saying positive things to themselves. I think a lot of people yeah. feel, like, cheesy or weird, but... Yeah. Um, you but think about it right so if you say you're like with a little kid like you wouldn't say horrible things to a little kid you wouldn't look at a little kid and be like you suck you're ugly you're a horrible person but people say those types of self-talk things to themselves all the time so right. imagine the psychological damage that people do to themselves on a daily basis right yeah exactly so yeah so it's just it's really important especially if you had a trauma a traumatizing childhood or you didn't get a lot of validation when you were younger or as yeah. a kid it's it's just positive to say it yeah 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 and it probably comes with practice right trying to believe your own words like saying nice things to yourself right like i i assume it just comes with practice because as you mentioned like for me it's awkward as hell like (laughs) (laughs) so if it's really awkward that means that you haven't like accepted it or or heard those things about yourself oh yeah no can't (laughs) won't it's like like over the weekend last weekend a friend of mine and I, we were hiking and he said something nice to me and I just ignored it. Like I pretended like I didn't hear it. A lot of people ignore it or a lot of people will deflect it. And actually that's, um, that's very selfish because when someone, yes, because when someone is giving you a gift, that's Mm. a gift, right? So it's like, if I say, Grace, you're beautiful. And you go, Oh no, I'm not. You're taking that away from me. You're taking that away from me because I want to give you a gift. So by accepting the gifts, you're you're allowing me to give so it's like if you are like hey rosie i think you're really awesome and i go oh shut up grace you know whatever it's like i'm taking that because the compliment is two sides it's the giver and the taker right so if you you're if you don't accept the compliment you're taking that away from me you're not letting me have my my side of it oh interesting yeah Yeah. okay that's a lot of people think they're being humble but they're not because yeah Mm-hmm. a lot of times like think about a physical gift like not just like say someone saying something nice but like if i go and i spend my time on the weekend and i buy you a physical present like so right. let's take it out of the um spiritual world or whatever yeah. and t- take it into the physical world so uh-huh. i go and i buy you like a headband right yeah. and um you go oh no 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 you shouldn't have you know why did you get me this headband you know i told you not to get me something and you like i spent that time to go get you a headband I went shopping, I spent my money, which is my lifeblood, because when you trade time for money, that's your life, right? I go to yeah. work and I get money or I do a show and I get money. And then I put mm. that money into a physical gift to give you. Mm. And then if you go, no, 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 I don't want that. Then you're taking that away from me. Like part mm. of a giving a gift is two sided. It's giving and receiving, right? So mm. it's like, even like with sex, like you made that joke about, oh, like you don't like foreplay. It's like, if we were having sex and you know, I make you come and then you're like, oh, I want to make you come. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so 
it takes it's like two. No, dirty. thank you. What is that? I don't want that. <laughs> so it's it's so yeah, so it's important to say nice things to yourself, basically. And it's important if someone gives you a compliment to accept it. You don't have to maybe you don't feel it or believe it, but it's always important to accept it. So if someone says, Oh, Grace, you're really awesome or you're really funny tonight. It's important to be like, oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. And not be like, no, 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 I suck. I'm, I'm horrible or whatever people do. That. Yeah. They're pretending mm-hmm. to be humble, but really they're just like mm-hmm. being a bad relationship person. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I could definitely see it from that perspective. I also see it from like a angle of like, well, you know, some people just can't like they're just not at a place where they can, you know, I think being able to accept nice words that come towards you is a skill that you have to learn because um you know it it goes back to childhood right like um i think in asian culture this is pretty common you know like somebody like somebody says like oh oh you look so cute today it's like thank you i i know like a child would say that a child would be like yeah i do look cute yeah (laughs) but you know i was taught like oh, don't, don't take that, you know, don't take their word for it. Just say no. It's like, no, that's not true, right? Like that feigned humility is a cultural thing for sure in Korean culture, for sure in Japanese culture, even like gifts, you know, it's like in Korea, I was taught like- Let me ask you this. Do you think that's healthy? Of course not. Of course not. (laughs) Like I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not advocating this shit, Rosie. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Like, um, you know, I was taught like, oh, you know, for instance, I was moving and my grandfather gave me some money and I just said, thank you. And I took it. My dad's like, all right, next time somebody offers you money like that, you say no. Like you have to refuse it a couple of times. They're going to give it to you. Like they're going to insist it. So I'm like, oh, so we have to like build it into like a kind of a conflict. <laughs> You know, he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, you got to refuse it, you know, and it's like, oh, okay. So, I mean, these are coded in to the childhood mind, which creates our personality, you know, and our values and our core beliefs and blah, blah, blah. And I think it takes, a, I think it takes a lot of practice and, you know, mindfulness and yeah, just practice and mindfulness to break out of these habits. Um so very interesting. Okay. So, um, like, wow, you wrote a book on meditation. That's really impressive. Like what made you take the step to actually writing it though? Because I think a lot of people have plans, you know, they're like, oh, I have a project in mind. I have this idea and they sit with it and they don't really take a step forward into writing it. So like, where were you at at the time when you came up with this idea what gave you this impulse to go ahead and like write the book? I'm kind of interested in that process a little bit. I think, I think when people um, talk about doing stuff and they never really do it, then they didn't really want to do it. I mean, it sounds, that sounds harsh, but I mean, it's true. You know, everyone knows what they need to do. Whenever you, you, if you go to a little kid, like a six-year-old and you show them a candy bar and an apple and you say, which one's healthy? The little kid's Mm going to point to the apple, even if Mm -hmm. they've never been taught it. We instinctively know what we need to do. If you go to someone who's very unhealthy and you say, what's healthy, this apple or this candy bar, they're going to say, well, obviously the apple. But Mm -hmm. are they committed to eating the apple? So -hmm. that's up to to their, you know, everything in life is a trade-off. So Mm -hmm. do I want to enjoy this yummy candy bar and maybe have a couple extra pounds? Or do I want to eat this apple and, you know, so... It's, mm-hmm. it's just depending on what someone values. Some people really, really value their bodies and they will skip the, the candy bar. And I don't value my body enough. I don't have a six pack. <laughs> I wish I did. <laughs> mm. But um, sometimes I'll go for the candy bar. Sometimes I'll go for the apple. It depends on, on what I'm valuing in that moment. But just like you, mm-hmm. it's like you're like, I needed to write this book. That's what mm-hmm. happened. I, I'm not a meditation expert. I'm not in the world of meditation or self-help, but I just needed to get it out. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. No, for sure. No, I I guess I was just interested in like what your like creative process was and things like that. Um, But the creative process was like, I need to get this out of my head. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it takes a lot of discipline to write a book. You know, I don't think like um, it's easy to write a book. Like you, you have to uh, do the actual writing. I mean, I think sitting down to write is like a big task for a lot of people. You know, there's so many things that like, oh, you know, like I gotta, I gotta do this or I gotta do that. Like, you know, do you have like a writing ritual before you sit down and write, or are you just good at just going to the desk and just writing it out or? I don't. I the book took me a long time. It was like took me four years. So it's not a long book. Oh, wow. It's only like it's less than a hundred pages, but it took me yeah. four years. So just prioritizing. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Do you think like during that four year process, like were you kind of going through like an evolution with the book at all? Or was there like a journey of any any kind? Um, not really. I got the idea. So I, I originally wanted to do it's called 52 weeks of meditation. I originally wanted to do 365 days and do a meditation for each day um, or a meditative thought. And that just became really overwhelming for me. Mm. Like I was like, that's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) um, So I just started writing as much as I could. And then um, when I felt like it was finished, it was like around 50 pages or 50 things and I was like well why don't I just make it one 52 weeks it'll be one meditative thought for each week mm. um because I just got really overwhelmed with the 365 like having a daily and I thought okay well this is I just want to do this and get this out there so yeah yeah for sure oh no I, I love that um yeah like making it manageable and practical that is part of the writing too like that is part (laughs) of the discipline it's like oh no like that's a lot so let me make it manageable so that I will do it you know like I think that's super important like um, a lot of my writer friends they'll be like yeah I can't I can't write or I don't know in grad school there was a lot of this like I didn't write I can't write because you know I have it all built up in my head like I have to sit down for four hours straight and I have to write like 50 pages at least I was like that's a really tall order like of course you're not going to write if you you know turn it into a big task like that right it has Um, to be yeah very manageable so just like one page a day or just I mean at one point I was just focused on just like write one page exactly exactly and writing one page a day is a lot too you know yeah um but yeah no I love that like managing making it manageable so that you do finish it um I also love this idea of making it like thematic I think we need that. Like, I, I know I need it. Like, I've been doing yoga since, like, a little bit, in a little more disciplined way. I've been doing it, like, since, you know, the summer. And I did, uh, I do, like, yoga with Adrian, And she has, like, a 30-day yoga thing, like, where you do, like, one thing per day. But she also has, like, other, these these other theme ones like oh like detox and stress or yoga for fear or yoga for renewal like she has these themes and I love finding like oh like what am I feeling today like in terms of a theme you know I think that's really smart like from like a marketing perspective too because we like things like that we like little packages we like something that feels like oh like this is a thing you know oh like i i know this theme this is something i recognize this is something i could put myself into like i think that's really smart mm. so you look for your daily theme before you do yoga mm-hmm. of course yeah i'm like it's aligned my... with your your daily vibe <laughs> exactly what am i feeling what flavor you know what's the color yeah yeah <laughs> Do you do like yoga or Pilates or anything? Do you have like an exercise? I do yoga, yeah. Yeah? Oh, I love yoga. I thought I was actually afraid of it. I was like, oh, it's like, yeah, you know, like a lot of eye rolling. But <laughs> I've been doing it like on and off, like for, you know, more than 10 years. But then I was like, you know, what? I want to just kind of commit to it a little bit more seriously and see what comes of it. And like, actually, it's been kind of amazing. Like, I'm really into it. What, like, how did you learn your yoga or how did you get into your yoga thing? It's just something I always wanted to do. And I just started taking yoga classes. I'm not an expert in yoga by any means. I just, it's just, it's, I like the spiritual aspect of it. And I like the, the calming aspect of it. And I also like that it's like a workout. Yeah, no, I, I agree. 
I've been on TikTok lately and TikTok's trying to get me into Pilates. Like I keep seeing like all these <laughs> Pilates chicks. It makes it sound like TikTok has a mind of its own. It does have a mind of its own. It's memorized all of my my algorithms and data and it is trying to, you know, level me up to this next thing. It's like, okay, like you did the yoga. Why don't you try getting into Pilates now? You know? Oh yeah, TikTok knows. Um, but yeah, like uh i think there's something to this um a lot of the times in our culture we try to separate the mind from the body you know a lot we're like oh the mind is the mind and the body is the body but somebody made this argument they were like your mind is your body and your body is your mind like it's like your body is one big brain and i was like oh yeah that's a really good point that's a really good point what do you think of that argument um I don't know if it's an argument. I I would feel, I think that your mind and your body are the same thing. So, yeah, yeah, no. Increasingly, I feel like that is so, um, because you know I don't know. Do you get like certain like aches or pains when you're dealing with some kind of stress or difficulty? Do you get, yeah, like, well, we hold our physical stress in our bodies. So, like, I don't know if you've ever gotten a massage, but like your neck or shoulders, like people will hunch when they're stressed. So, um, for sure. It comes off as like kind of hippy dippy stuff, but I mean, it's been scientifically proven that, you know, we're all, it's a connected system. So it's like, you can't yeah. drive a car without, you know, a tailpipe or yeah. something. So it's everything sure. needs to work together as a machine. Yeah. Well, okay. I feel the same way about this, but let me get your take on it. Why do we feel like rolling our eyes at the hippy dippy stuff or the woohoo stuff or the like... <laughs> SoCal stuff, the LA stuff, like why? So why first do we... of all, I get really irritated when people say that, like I'll go to visit um, yeah. my family or my husband's family in the Midwest and be like, oh, that's so California, but it's actually oh, not. Okay. It's actually right. not because people right. do yoga all over the country. People do meditation all over the country. People, right. um, you know, a lot of these books and, and things are bestsellers all over the world. So um, I'm not sure why it's associated with just California and LA. Maybe there's a higher percentage of people that do stuff like that. Um, I think because a lot of people associate, there's a very dichotomous relationship with spirituality and science. And I think that mm -hmm. people feel that there's science and then there's like religion. Mm -hmm. And um, I think this type of stuff kind of goes beyond that into the metaphysical. And I think people see that as like, you're crazy or you're like a witch or something like that. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Like a lot of the times when I'm reading like a spiritual text and then I read like scientific texts, like let's say physics or, or, or physicist talks about some kind of, phenomena it's like there's a lot of overlap with the spiritual texts that i've read in fact they're talking about the same thing the their, their language is very shared a lot of the time i would say religion and science are actually the same thing and i was yeah. atheist for many many years and yeah. it was actually a physicist who made me believe in god yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i was i was very atheist and very uh self-righteous about it and I was dating a physicist at UCLA. I didn't go to UCLA. He, he went there. And he was. I was like, how can you not be an atheist? You're a scientist. And he's like, how can I be an atheist? He goes, if you study physics at all, you'll see that there's got to be something bigger than us. And I, that really changed my point of view because I always thought religion and science were at odds with each other. Um, and then I started doing research into physics. And like the only physicist that I've ever heard of that was super atheist is... Um, I'm totally blanking on him. They had a movie about him, The Theory of Everything. Stephen, Stephen Hawking. Hawking. Stephen Hawking is like the only physicist, like every other physicist, like Einstein was like super religious, which shocked me because I didn't realize that. Einstein is like talk, always talks about like the nature of God and like, and what my physicist ex, I don't want to even call him an ex-boyfriend, he was just a guy I did. But what he said was, phys, because physics is the study of nature in the universe. And what is nature in the universe, but possibly God, right? So they're basically the same thing, which I didn't understand because I was, you know, so atheist and I just thought science and, and religion were opposites. But 
Um, and where, where does religion yeah. come from? It's the study of nature, right? The Native American mm-hmm. re- religions, the religions of past before like weird people got involved and started doing like, you need to not have sex before you're married and all these weird rules and stuff like that, which are clearly man-made. But before mm-hmm. that, it was man in nature, studying nature and being like, hey, is this God? Like, what's this? How do we explain this? So they're basically mm-hmm. the same thing. You... I would say organized religion is like weird right. and wacky, right. but right, if you right, look right. at religious texts as far as spirituality, they're explaining nature and physics yes. and the nature of the universe. But yes, yes, and then for men sure. came in and put all these weird rules, and they're like, "This is religion," but you know, yeah. I don't know what your religion is. I may be insulting you, but <laughs> no, you're not insulting me. Were you were you raised like in a kind of a dogmatic family? Like, yes. Yeah. I, I understand that. I was the same way. I was raised like super Protestant and then became deeply atheist. And then in more recent years, I was like, you know what? I'm actually more comfortable with the notion of like spirituality and openness. Um, I think that, it yeah, I think a lot of people do that. I think a lot of people but become atheists if they grow up in a super religious household because they're just like, yeah. okay, this sounds like complete bullshit. But um, yeah. You, we shouldn't punish um, the good parts of religion for the bad parts, you know? For sure. It's just for like sure. stand-up. Like, stand-up is amazing. You get to make people laugh. It's fun. It's creative. Just mm-hmm. because there's some, like, snarky, you know, asshole comedians doesn't mean stand-up comedy is bad. Exactly. You know what I mean? So exactly. it's the same thing with religions. Like, just because there's some, like, crazy nut job religious people doesn't mean religion is bad. Right. Right. Um yeah, it's it's usually like from a place of spiritual trauma and then one rebelling against that that the source of that trauma that leads to that kind of stance. At least that was for me very clearly. But um yeah, once I started making more peace with that, I was like, "Oh, okay, like actually some things are lining up and they make a lot of sense from like a grander scheme." I suppose. I was talking to a friend who who studied physics. He dropped out, but he was getting his doctoral degree in physics. I was talking to him last weekend and I asked him, I was like, what do you think of this theory of like vibrations? Like everything's a vibration. And he's like, actually in physics, like 101, the text that we're all required to read is called everything is a vibration, vibrations and waves, waves and vibrations like they teach you that in medical school too is like that we're all a conduit for electricity yeah yeah he's like everything's a vibration and you know like i i saw it on some like korean talk show like they had like a quantum physicist there and they were like what the hell is quantum physics and he was like i don't know (laughs) the guy was like i don't know what it is either he's like that's all i study i don't know what it is i don't know how to explain it it's it's I I appreciated that answer because he's just like, we're studying the inexplicable and we're trying to put words to it, trying to make sense of it with our very limited capacity to, you know, make sense of it. And that's our job. So yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard for me to explain exactly what it is that I do, but I was just like, oh yeah, I, I like, I appreciated that the honesty behind that answer very much. That's another thing. It's Um, like, it's really closed minded of me and of other people to say that they're atheists because atheist, I would say the most closed minded point of view is either being devoutly religious or atheist, because you're saying, I know either this is real or this is not real. Mm-hmm. I would say the most open-minded point of view is agnosticism. Cause you're saying there's something out there. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And saying that I don't know what it is, is actually the most open-minded thing you can do because mm-hmm. there's like bugs on my arm, like bacteria that we can't see. There's colors in the color spectrum. We can't see. There's sounds that dogs can hear. We can't hear. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. If you're just going by what you can see, hear, and feel in front of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, for years we thought, you know, spirits were causing <laughs> diseases or whatever because we couldn't see bacteria. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's very presumptuous to say that there's absolutely no God or that there absolutely is, is a God, mm-hmm. you know, to, to just be open-minded to it and say, I don't know what the heck is out there, but I'm open to it. It's, it's the most open-minded in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and it kind of helps your ego in the long run, <laughs> right? Because, you know, uh, once we take a, a stance, there's always a an opposing stance that comes up exactly. immediately. And right. 
um, there's no, there's not enough room for us to navigate the changes that are inevitable. Right? Changes are inevitable. Our minds change inevitably, you know, just as everything around us changes inevitably. So, um, yeah, like maybe pull back before taking a stance of absolute. Um, okay. Love that. I love how you like, you're into it. You know, you're like, you're like, <laughs> you're like a nerd you know you're like yeah like i like research i like nerding out i love that um i do nerd out a lot the the worst part about my researching is though is that i actually do research a lot of things but yeah. i never bookmark or save what i research so i'm like i swear this is scientifically proven i just don't know how i read an article about it but i just don't remember the article ah. so i'm the worst at bookmarking stuff so i'll read like all sorts of crazy stuff that I swear to God is not some conspiracy website. It's legit, but I'll forget to bookmark it on my phone. And yeah, then I'll be yeah. talking to someone about this. And I was like, I read an article. And they're like, well, where was the article? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. It was 2 a.m. and I was in a downward rabbit hole on the internet. <laughs> I know it's always that hour, that witching hour. That's when we go in. It's like, uh, I'm gonna buy a Mark Jacobs bag. I could totally afford it. And I'm going to study like what this whole fucking cult is about i'm gonna get into it yeah it's like that hour 2 a.m that's when it all happens well you sometimes should, too yeah. because it'll be a an accident like i'll be reading an article say i'm like reading an article in like washington post or something and there's a link to another article yes so then you click on the link yes and then you're reading that and you're like oh what's this so then you'll click on another link to another yes. thing so then you're like four websites away from the original thing you're looking at yeah and like you're like, oh, this is so interesting. And then you fall asleep. And then yeah. six months later, you're at a party and you're having a conversation with someone. And you're like, I swear yeah. to God, I yeah. understand this. I just yeah. cannot cite any reputable sources because I was looking at a website at 2 a.m. six months yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how, but that's what researchers do. That's actually a sign <laughs> of a good researcher. You should get that uh, that app. It's called Zotero. And then you could just have your own bibliography. Like you could oh. save everything. <laughs> <laughs> and it becomes a bibliography like that's what grad students use when they're writing their dissertations like they have zotero or they have some kind of like bibliography making system like a machine that just cite like saves everything all the citations books or articles or journals or newspaper articles whatever it is you should get one of those and it could just be the the rosy rosy brain <laughs> exactly rosy's brain uh citations bibliography zotero that could be it um but yeah that's precisely what good researchers do like librarians love being at the library because that's what they get to do it's like they're reading something like let's say about stars and then they're like oh stars somebody just mentioned uh 18th century america and catholicism oh and then they can walk anywhere in that library find that book or find that resource read that and then they're like oh it just mentioned worms they'll go to another part of the library <laughs> read about worms that's why they love being librarians because they enjoy doing that what did you study I, when you were in school um i studied tv and film i i didn't so i'm overeducated, but i don't believe in traditional education <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, I actually think that most of what's taught in, in school and college is just kind of a waste of time. Um, I do a lot of independent reading and independent research and looking up stuff, just things that are interesting to me. Like, I don't think I don't like how you should have to take certain required classes to get certain degrees and stuff, especially if, like, why should you have to learn something that's not interesting to you? Just it doesn't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. Right. So like you have to get your basic, like you go to college, you get your bachelor's degree, you have to take your basics, like your basic math, your basic, why, why does it matter? If you're not going to do anything math related, it doesn't make any sense to me. Hmm. Someone like, like have a different point of view. I, that's my opinion. I like how we're having the, this conversation right after we talk about absolutes and um, uh, stances <laughs> and uh, the trouble that causes. No, no, uh, no. I mean, I, I think, I also think that it's important to follow your joy. Yeah. I mean, only the individual knows what they like and what interests them and what turns them on and what makes them passionate. And I think it's important to keep that flame alive for sure. And I think that is the guiding light for sure. Um, but yeah, uh, moving off from that a little bit, I know that you're very into crypto. Like you're like the cryptocurrency comedian. 
<laughs> I don't think that would be my nickname, but I am really into crypto. You're, you're, no, you're the only one that comes to mind. There's no <laughs> other comedian. There's some comics who will attempt to talk about crypto, but they, they're like, you know, turning it into a joke or they're bashing it. It's like very shallow shit. But I know, like, you're like into it. You know, you like you participate in all of it. Like, sorry, my dog's barking. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's okay. Um, yeah, and I know that you've done a lot of research in that arena as well. Like, what what brought you there? Like, what sort of made you think, like, oh, like there's something here. I want to learn more about this. So my journey into crypto um, started where all good things start. NPR. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had heard um, some story or something where they had mentioned Bitcoin mm-hmm. and I had heard it just in the back of my mind. They were talking mm-hmm. about it. I didn't really understand what it was. And then I went to a friend's house and she was really into Bitcoin and she's like, have you guys heard about Bitcoin? And I was like, not really. And so I started doing research into cryptocurrency and initially I thought, well, I'm not a programmer. I do. Mm-hmm. I have um, a, I'm, I'm not a cryptographer, a little mini book. I'm not it's smart a meditation book. It's this. not comedy. Mm-hmm. It's on and Amazon. So I stopped. And then I kept it's seeing stuff about it. Meditation. And it wasn't until I yeah. saw um, <laughs> an interview on MSNBC with Anthony Pompliano, mm-hmm. um, where he started, he was talking to this is you know now msnbc has the crypto um scroll at the bottom with the prices and everything but at this time the talking heads on msnbc were like it's a scam it's not real it's fake money Mm -hmm. and anthony pompliano who's considered a crypto bro explained it in a very um layman's terms Mm -hmm. where i could understand it so i was like well let me give this another chance so Mm -hmm. i started doing research into it and it's complicated but it's not complicated Mm-hmm. You have to understand. So to understand cryptocurrency, you have to understand why we need cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And so to understand cryptocurrency, why we need cryptocurrency, you need to understand the monetary system in America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you do need to know a little bit about um, history, mm-hmm. a little bit about monetary policy. But after that, it's really pretty easy. And, and it's it's very revolutionary. And once you understand it, it's like your mind gets blown up. You're like, oh, wow mm. because it does shed light on how um can i say whatever i want on this podcast mm-hmm. okay yeah. it really sheds light on how completely fucked up our traditional financial system is mm-hmm. and so people that make fun of cryptocurrency I, I hear a lot of comedians oh it's a scam oh it's not real money mm-hmm. um they're really shitting on about five billion people on the planet that are unbanked and mm. it's really a huge sign of elitism because um we are in a country where the U.S. dollar is the Federal Reserve currency, it's the um, world re- world currency, and mm-hmm. so we're not in a country like Venezuela or Turkey or in Africa where the currency is um, devalued so much that people can't even go to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And so it's really a first world problem to make fun of crypto because mm-hmm. um, a lot of people are living in dire poverty and are completely unbanked. But not mm-hmm. just that, digital assets create such a opportunity for people like my parents who Mm. literally lost everything because they could only come to this country after the war and hold what was on their physical bodies. Mm -hmm. Whereas if they would have had an iPhone and been able to hold assets in a phone, they wouldn't Mm. have lost everything and had to start from scratch. Mm -hmm. And so in countries like Afghanistan where women are fleeing and and in other countries Mm -hmm. where there's, you know, a lot of um, turmoil, Mm -hmm. um, people can get a cheap phone, download a wallet and put some financial assets on that phone and carry it with them. So, um, right. it's really, really important. It's really, really important to the poor. It's really, really important to the marginalized and disenfranchised. Mm. And I find it, um, I know it's just from a lack of understanding, but I find it really disgusting when people make fun of it because they really mm-hmm. don't understand what it is and the power uh, to help those 5 million billion, excuse mm-hmm. me, unbanked people in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I really like that. I love that question that you ask, like that you start out with, like why we need cryptocurrency, because nobody bothers to ask that. Nobody really, you know, even thinks to ask that question. And then you bring in this, uh, the inequity aspect that we live in, that is a reality on this earth, right? Uh, Because of colonialism and patriarchy and capitalism, and its major, major flaws. 
And it's like, oh, we there is this revolutionary idea that could perhaps level the playing field in such a way. And yeah, a lot of this stuff is coming out of a place of ignorance. I think also a place of fear. You know, people don't know, people are afraid of what they don't know. So they speak on that and it sounds like ignorance, right? So fear and ignorance. And um, you're mentioning something that's very important, which is like, oh, there's a, there's a possibility of equity that could come into play in this arena. And it's like, oh, shit, you know, like, oh, why, why didn't I ask that question, right? I think a lot of the times when it comes to money, the way that we understand it traditionally, just currency, the way that we understand it is just like, oh, well, um, inequity is inevitable. Marginality is inevitable, you know, these so-called third world countries are an inevitability. It's almost as if we resign and we accept these capitalist flaws as permanence, and then we decide to just exist with that thought, right? Rather than saying, oh, what about the possibility of this portal where it might change those things? Yeah. And really, there's no reason, you know, it's like, are you defending Wall Street bankers? Like, I don't understand why you would be against it. It's right. basically the people's money. It's decentralized. There's no party that's controlling it. It's just controlled, you know, by the programming, by the code. It's transparent. So, mm. you know, it's on a public ledger where everyone can see it. So it's just really um, shocking to me when people are, are so against it or, or say, oh, it's just fake internet money. Mm. I feel like they really don't understand what it is and they don't understand some of the financial realities that a lot of people deal with. I mean, the fact that my family literally lost everything mm. and came to this country my mom had a gold you know it's like you put on a gold necklace and maybe that would be worth something when mm -hmm. you come to the new country yeah. that's all changed with phones mm -hmm. and crypto you can have a phone an iphone or a smartphone or even a not so smartphone download a mm -hmm. wallet mm -hmm. trade your money for cryptocurrency hold it on that wallet and then go and travel with and you have your wealth you have everything that you built with you on a phone Versus what happened to my parents, which is they had to leave everything behind and come to a new country with absolutely nothing. And mm -hmm. that has now evaporated. Mm -hmm. So people fleeing Ukraine. I mean, crypto mm -hmm. was a huge, huge thing with Ukraine where, where, because they couldn't get money to Ukraine. And so people were doing crypto transactions to get donations into the Ukraine. That is revolutionary. And the news media barely talked about it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just crazy. All these yeah. amazing things that are being done with crypto right now. Yeah. And so if you're fleeing the Ukraine... As long as you have an internet signal, you can transfer your wealth into a cryptocurrency and get the heck out of there and you don't lose your entire life. Yeah. You know? I mean, people don't understand how insane that is. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, a lot of the phobia does stem from things like, you know, like the dot com era and like bubbles bursting. Like, you know, I think there are these other instances where things were there was so much placed on like the internet, right? Like wh while it was still developing, while we were still coming to understand what the hell it was and bubbles bursting and people like just stay with that trauma. It's kind of like, um, you know, people being, uh, how, do you, how do I say, fearful of psychedelics or suspicious of psychedelics, you know, because of like the whole like fucking, you know, like Republicans and the whole anti-drug war and Nancy Reagan, you know, like it, 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 it build a certain kind of fear and these blinders that people willfully put up because they're like, I need to protect myself. You know, again, it's like a fear-based thing. They're like, I need to protect myself. I don't want to deal with that shit because blah, blah, blah. But there was something else interesting that you said. Um, you were like, oh, when I first started learning about it, I thought, oh, I'm not smart enough to deal with this. So I'm not gonna. I think that is a huge fear too, because a lot of people, when it comes to finances, just just regular finances in general. They're like, I'm not smart enough to deal with that. I don't want to fucking bother with it. They're really saying, I'm afraid of money. I'm afraid of what it might do to me. It comes from a similar place of trauma like you're talking about with your family losing everything, right? I think a lot of middle-class families, lower middle-class families have dealt with situations like that where all of it is gone, where everything is vanished, you know, like here in America, there were instances like that too, you know, like during the 2008 recession, when homes are being foreclosed, that was a traumatic period for a lot of middle-class Americans, lower middle-class Americans, where everything went to shit. So yeah, I think that's where the, that 
antagonism comes from. But you're right. Like one way to relax that is to ask that question like, well, why do we need this currency? Oh, it's for precisely moments like that where there is a flat lining, where there is a ground zeroing. And it's like, how do I still protect my assets? Oh, through something like this. Yeah. But I mean, not not just that. I, I think a lot of people don't realize that there's a population, m the majority of the world that's unbanked. But, mm -hmm. you know, you'll go to parts of Africa, they don't have access to banking services. And mm -hmm. the banking services that they do have access to are charging an arm and a leg. It's the same thing in America. When you go to a poor community, they have mm -hmm. the check cashing place and the check cashing right. place is going to charge you 15% to cash a check. Right, Whereas right. crypto, it costs pennies mm -hmm. um, to do transactions. And so that's really important too. A lot of people, like I said, they don't understand. They're like, why do we need crypto? I have a, account, a bank account at Bank of America. It works fine. That's mm -hmm. because you're in the top 1%. Yes, you are in the top 1% if you have a bank account. A lot of people do not have access to banking services and people mm -hmm. don't understand that. In Vietnam, where my family's from, people don't trust banks. So everything is cash. They have banks in Vietnam, obviously, but everything is cash. Mm -hmm. And so there's all sorts of societies like that in America, right? In the world right now, in, in the 2000, 20, 21st century, sorry. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. Where you would think it's the modern day where people don't have access to banking, but right. they have a smartphone. Mm -hmm. There's there's places in the world right now where people don't have um, floors. They have dirt mm -hmm. floors, but they do have a phone. They right. have a phone and they have access to cheap internet. Yeah. And so that is very, very important to provide people with those services because it's it's an important thing. Banking is important. Money is important. That's how people, you know, um, deal with their livelihood. It's not about having assets or ha having billions of dollars. It's about having $10. Yeah. It's about having $10 and not having the check cashing place steal 20% of your $10 when you're for trying sure. to make it to the next week, you know, for sure, for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, it's like, it's enraging when uh, checking accounts like charge you like a $12 fee per month when you're, you're just keeping your money in there. You know, exactly. Like, like, how come? Why are you doing this? Um, no, so enlightening. So eye opening. I love that. Thank you for uh, talking to me about that. Um, there's one thing I do on all of my podcast episodes. I do this thing called flashcard questions where I take a Korean drama and then I take out the scenario and I just, I describe the scene, I describe the character. And then I just ask you like, what would you do if you were this character in this situation? And you just like riff on it. It's like, it's like an improv game basically. So I'll just ask okay. you if there's like three questions. Uh, so this is based on the show tomorrow, which is on Netflix. It's a 2022 drama. Okay. So let's say, you're a guy in his 20s named Chunung, and you're trying to get employment, like you're trying to get employed, right? You're like a college educated young man. You're perfectly capable. You've been looking for a job in these like white collar office spaces. Nobody's hiring, all right? Suddenly, out of nowhere, you find yourself in a coma. You're suddenly comatose. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And in your comatose state, you're in this sort of like limbo, in this limbo world. And there are all these like grim reapers that you can see and you're interacting with. And you meet this one set of grim, grim reapers whose job is to prevent human beings from committing suicide. And the boss of this world says to you that you have to help out this team of suicide preventers while your body is in a comatose state, while you're up in the hospital. Meanwhile, your mother is sitting by your bedside and she's worried sick about you. What do you do? <laughs> wow. Um, so I can help them, but I can't move? In your, in your spiritual world, you can. You're mobile. Okay. But in your physical, your body is in a state of coma. It's, it's, it's in a coma. Yeah. Okay. Well, I definitely think I would break out into a um, pop dance montage, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> Is yeah. that appropriate? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? I think I would break out in a pop montage in my mind. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I think that's appropriate. <laughs> oh, and, oh, and that's it. And that's it. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I, yeah. And then and I would it. wake up and, and tell my mother how much I love her. Okay. Because I'm such a good Korean boy. Okay, great, great. Awesome. That's all Korean boys do, by the way. 
break out in a K-pop montage dance routine, and then they wake up and they tell their mothers how much they love them. That's I've that's never the only seen yeah. any of these shows, so this is just my gut feeling. <laughs> and they're spot on, spot on. <laughs> okay, all right, great. Next question. Let's say you're the same guy. You're Chunung again. Okay. Okay. You're like now teamed up with these Grim Reaper people. All right. The suicide prevention people. All right. Your first client is a TV writer who is having a nervous breakdown at the sight of a webtoon artist who is gaining a lot of attention for her work because her latest webtoon series is all about high school bullying. And she says she wrote this book because she wants to bring awareness about high school bullying and how terrible it is, all right? But you see this TV writer's past and notice that this webtoon artist lady used to beat the shit out of this TV writer. Like she was a high school bully. Yeah. She's the one that's causing this TV writer panic attacks. And now she's doing and now she's Now she's on this anti-bullying campaign claiming to be creating artwork to pre- prevent bullying from happening and trauma and harassment. What do you do? Ugh, this is a tough one because if you expose her, then you're kind of being a bully. Oh. Right? Mm-hmm. So I would advise my writer client to expose her in a way that was healing. Oh. Yeah. So exposing her that she was a bully and then, but like pretending like it was like, oh, I know that this is why you're doing it because you're a bully. And um, I just want you to know I forgive you and make it like a healing uh-huh. thing. And then also break out into song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the ultimate healing thing. Breaking the ultimate out healing into song. thing is a dance montage. And then after <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> yes, that's the ultimate healing thing. That's the ultimate one. Can't beat that one. You got to Moulin Rouge your way out of this. Into, exactly. <laughs> With healing. a lot of like, and then. And then a lot it. of that. A lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the hand fans. Yes, yes. Okay, okay. All right. Excellent. Last, last question. All right, you're you're the same dude, okay? Your current client is actually a suicidal dog, okay? There's a there's a pup that wants to kill it, kill himself. He, this dog wants to die because the owner is really strapped for cash, like has no money, can't keep taking the dog to the vet. It's killing him. It's killing him. He's just like, "God, I can't afford to keep taking this dog to the vet. It sucks." Ah. But this dog is suicidal. What do you do? I would tell the dog that he was such a good doggy. Um, and I would tell the dog not to kill himself and that we're going to do a fundraiser for his vet bills. Yeah. And the fundraiser is going to be a dance show yeah. where we do a dance act together and raise money and he's going to be the dancing dog. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then I slipped in my third dance montage. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All the dogs are dancing. All of them. All of them. them. And then we raise money for the for the vet bills. That is genius. That's that's a genius fundraising move. People will pay money for that shit. People love pets. People love dogs. They love dogs. They don't want a dog to die. Never ever. They will give all their money away. Actually, back to my research of things that I don't have cited information on. (laughs) I read a study. So there was a study they did that was like the value of life. So they made an imaginary scenario. They interviewed like I don't know, like a thousand people or whatever. And they were like, Would you save this person? Would you save this person, this person? And most people would save a child first, then a dog. Uh, people are last. Like adult people, nobody cared about them. And the value of the dog's life was higher if it was your dog. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, yeah. but the highest life was a, a babe, was no, actually, I, I think the highest life was either your child or your dog. And then it was a miscellaneous dog, miscellaneous child. And then if you're like just an adult person, you're not getting saved. You're fucked. Yeah. You're, you're fucked. going, you're okay. going down with a Titanic. Yeah. 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 You're going down. You're going down. It's, it's my dog, my child, miscellaneous dog, and then miscellaneous child. But the rest of you yeah, down with a Titanic. Exactly. Goodbye. 
Hopefully you'll Again, see a dance study montage. I read about in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. I have no evidence that this is a real article. I have no link to it. I did not bookmark it or save the page. I fully believe you. I would do the same. I would do exactly the same I thing. I read so much random stuff. How can I bookmark everything? And then also, you don't know if it's going to be interesting for later if you're going to need the information. It I won't didn't know be. I was going to do yeah. a podcast and we're going to be talking about <laughs> saving dogs' lives. It won't be interesting. It's only interesting at that hour, at 2 a.m., at 2.13 a.m., when you're looking for that specific article. Like, if the ship's going down, who's going to be the first to be saved? And you're, yeah, it's like but my, also, my. It's also hard to refind it because I found articles before that were really interesting. I forgot to bookmark them. And then I Google, like, keywords. Oh, yeah, no. And then something else comes up. It's right? gone. So if I Google who's mm-hmm. going to save a dog first or whatever, some other weird stuff's going to show up. On yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to go back to that witching hour. You got to go into that mind, <laughs> that state of mind again. That's when you could find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's all got to be perfectly aligned like that. Fuck yes. I love that. I love that. No, this was a pleasure. Thank you, Rosie. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks. No outro either. <laughs>